Welcome to the Past Life Awakening Institute podcast. I'm Mark Beale, a past life regression therapist and trainer. Today we have with us Andy Myers. He's a psychic medium, an inspirational speaker and life coach, and he's a best-selling author of three award-winning books. So welcome to the podcast, Andy. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. I appreciate it. Okay, my pleasure. So we're here to, to talk about and celebrate your new book, your fourth book coming out on January 11th. That's called The Sky Diaries, A True Story of Reincarnation. And that describes Andy uh, and his family's discovery of tangible evidence that have all lived in past lifetimes together. So Andy, you're there in Omaha, Nebraska at the moment, is it? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska, right smack dab in the middle of the United States. And, uh, you know, it's a kind of a conservative part of the country, but people are always surprised at how open-minded the population here in Omaha is. Uh, you know, it's a city of uh, not not quite a million people, um, but it it's just kind of a hotbed for spirituality and kind of new age phenomena. So people are, you know, really excited about this kind of thing, uh, you know, reincarnation and medium work and past life regressions. There's so many expos and workshops in town it, it, for, a, for a city that its size, Omaha is a pretty interesting place to be. And you also tour the United States, uh, giving inspirational talks, conducting psychic events and giving psychic readings. And as you say, you're known for your expertise in past lives and reincarnation and your insights into the spirit world. So you're finding the US in general is also pretty well in tune with these kind of things nowadays. Yeah, I think it varies quite a bit depending on what region you're in. Uh, obviously, you know, the whole West Coast is, you know, notorious for being, uh, you know, extremely open minded. But I think as a whole, the country is just becoming uh, a bit more accepting, not just about psychic phenomenon, but about, you know, gosh, everything from the afterlife to, you know, aliens and UFOs, you know, with these new government releases. So I think slowly but surely people are becoming a, a bit more open to the possibility that there's more to our reality than meets the eye. So Andy, you've got a, a website. So just well, before we get into it, I want to let people know they can find you on andymyersonline.com. And so if you're interested in the work that Andy does, check him out there. Yeah. And it's a, it's a good resource for uh, pretty much anything. You know, if you would like to uh, get more information or purchase any of my books. Uh, my my workshops and classes are listed on there. Many of which nowadays have been offered on Zoom and you know digitally since COVID and everything. Uh, but yeah, AndyMyersOnline.com if you're interested. And and I do I do sessions for people all over the world. You know Australia, England. Uh, got some people in, in Hawaii always makes me jealous when I'm on the phone with somebody who's, uh, you know, in a beautiful part of the world, you know, laying on a hammock at the beach. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, check out my website if you're interested. So Andy, your new book, uh, The Sky Diaries, just looking at it, it raises many areas of interest. So I've had a look at about five things I think are key to discuss today. So just to let people know the kind of things we'll cover in the next hour or so. Uh, you're a psychic medium. Uh, and so part of your discoveries uh, about these uh, past lives came through hypnosis. So I'd be interested to talk about that. And also, uh, this is a story about your family. It includes your a fairly young daughter. So she's remembering her previous lifetime. So that's the second. Thirdly, a near-death experience is in there. So we can discuss that. And then uh, the subject of guardian angels comes up. And that's something that comes up quite a lot when we're doing past life regression uh, specifically as well. And then fifthly, you've got a lot of uh, mind-blowing synchronicities which are often signposts in the, in the spiritual way. So it's quite a lot to cover. 
But before we get to that, can we just talk about uh, you being a psychic? And often there are two phases with that. There's sort of getting insights and discovering you're a psychic. And then now you're a professional psychic. So you're working with others. So how did you first get insight into your own psychic abilities? Yeah, I think every person's journey is unique <laughs> on, you know, how they how they fall into this line of work. And I guess the most ironic thing is, you know, I never I never imagined myself being a psychic medium. So that's kind of the ironic humor of a psychic who can't predict his own future. But, uh, you know, since childhood, I had uh, really interesting occurrences, you know, of uh, objects random, you know, mysteriously moving in my bedroom, um, sensing the presence of spirits, you know, knowing what, what was going to happen before it happened. So, you know, I had those little intuitive um, moments, wasn't really sure how any of it fit together at a young age. Um, I, I always knew that I wanted to help people for a living. So I went into social work. And so I worked at after school programs and, you know, youth facilities and, and really, uh, my near death experience in the fall of 2006. Um, I, I believe I, I have sleep apnea. So I believe what happened was I had stopped breathing uh, in my sleep and, you know, through literally through my bedroom ceiling, uh, I saw out into the cosmos, I saw uh, swirling galaxies and colorful nebulas. And I, I was enveloped by a, a loving presence. And it was it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful experience. But I, I was uh, I felt my spirit separating from my body and floating up into the ether. And um, you know, at that moment, I, I, I was speaking with some form of intelligence, some higher power. And, and I, I conveyed to this presence that I wasn't actually ready to go yet, that, that my time wasn't up, that I had something big and important that I needed to do with my life that involved helping a lot of people. And when I came to from that experience, that's when I felt my intuition uh, begin to heighten. So then I was uh, suddenly um, starting to sense and feel and, um, you know, I was getting this information from complete strangers, you know, having these feelings of what was going on in their life and uh, information about their family was popping into my head, which, which was kind of strange. And, you know, with my background in mental health, uh, I was start starting to worry that I was, you know, going, that I was going crazy, you know, and I, I was just starting to wonder if these were delusions or hallucinations. And um, thankfully, with support from friends and family, I, I started to, um, you know, approach some of these strangers to verify and validate if what I was sensing was accurate. And for my own mental health, I was relieved that uh, the information generally made sense, thank goodness. Uh, from that point, I was given the opportunity to appear on, uh, on some radio stations and uh, to give psychic readings live on the air. And from that moment, that kind of helped me make the transition from social worker to psychic. And yeah, and, and in the meantime, you know, I, I meet a lot of interesting people. Uh, I hear a lot of fascinating stories from clients, you know, stories about angels and miracles and ghost stories and synchronicities and past lives. And, you know, so I, I, I use a lot of these uh, stories and content for, uh, you know, to put in my books. And, uh, but the, the craziest one of all is, is my, my life story. It's, uh, so the sky diaries is my autobiography. It's, uh, it's not just my family's life story, but it's a story of how we were linked and connected in previous lifetimes. And it's a long, it's, you know, this book is thick enough. It could be a doorstop mark. I mean, you could do some damage if you hit somebody with this thing, it's thick and it's heavy and it's uh, gosh, 380 some pages, 350 some pages. And, uh, it's, uh, 
you know, I keep telling people if, if you're looking for a, a story that's unlike anything you've ever heard before, this, this book might be right up your alley, especially if, if you're intrigued by past lives and guardian angels. Yeah. So it's, it's been a wild, uh, scenic route to get, to get here, but, um, you know, it's, I wouldn't have it any other way. Cause as you know, you know, if you could go back in time and change one little thing, you, you probably wouldn't, uh, because all the, all the experiences, both good and bad led, led you to, they lead us to who we are nowadays. Right. Yeah. You said you were doing social before you've been a full-time psychic medium for how long now? Actually January 1st, 2010. So I started the first day of a new decade, uh, as this is my full-time profession. So yeah, gosh, what is that? Uh, 12 years now, some, somewhere in that ballpark. That's great. And so, and, and that's a significant thing, isn't it? Just having that shift of being a full-time professional. So did you do uh, specific uh, training or development? For me, it was kind of just finding my own unique style. Looking back at my schedule back then, I, I don't know if I was overly ambitious or, or just playing crazy, but I was doing a lot of sessions each week, you know, sometimes uh, up to six or seven a day. Uh, on the weekends, I would do psychic parties where I'd be giving, you know, 20 sessions, 20 small sessions to a group of people. And so it was just a, just a matter of rolling up my sleeves and, and doing as many sessions as possible to get more experience. And uh, thankfully, early on, uh, I, I was feeling the presence of my guardian angel. I have a Native American guardian angel named Henry. And early on, before I had confidence, uh, Henry was kind of holding my hand intuitively and I could, you know, lean on him as he was oftentimes providing me information about the client that I was speaking with. So, um, you know, that went on for, for a period of time for a year or two. And then I, I felt his presence, uh, slowly back off a little bit as almost like he was letting me take the steering wheel to, to really, you know, to really find my own groove. And, and at that point, um, you know, that's when the mediumship really took off because I, I realized I didn't, I no longer needed to rely on Henry for my psychic information. I could actually contact and communicate with the deceased relatives of the people that I was helping. Um, so, yeah, so that was, that was kind of my process. And, and again, I think each uh, psychic, each medium, perhaps even each, you know, past life regressionist or hypnotherapist has their own unique style. You know, some are, are, um, you know, perhaps more blunt, some, some are more patient and take their time. Um, you know, some, some have larger than life personalities and, and some are very gentle and sweet. Uh, but for me, I, I try to keep my style fluid, um, you know, because as, as you, as you know, firsthand, you know, meeting with so many different people of different walks of life, you, you can't, um, you can't always take a standard cookie cutter approach. Sometimes you have to change your style slightly to make the client more comfortable. You have to adapt to, the, to their energy, if you will. Sure. And uh, the key there is you develop your style by getting experience. So even though I'm a, I'm a trainer and I have people study my material, when I do my professional certification training, the emphasis is here's the assignment, go and do sessions and tell me how they go. Well, mentor you through it. And so I think a lot of people do get stuck in the studying and the, and the key is just practice. And so when I hear you say, I just practiced, you know, it's six, seven sessions a day. I'm thinking, yeah, that's how you do it. That's how you, <laughs> that, that's how you develop your style and get good. Well, yeah. I mean, cause it's like you, you could study for your whole life on, on how to be a good sailor, but at the end of the day, you gotta, you gotta take your boat out on the ocean and, and get it wet and figure out figure out how to do things right. You know, sometimes you figure out the right way to do things by messing up and doing them the wrong way, you know, but it's, it's experience is, is ultimately the, the most valuable thing.
let's get into the Sky Diaries and some of this life story. The key characters is you, your daughter, mm -hmm. and uh, her mother. So, uh, can you, so who are these three, the three key characters? And, uh, and did all three of them recall past lives? Yeah, uh, yes, uh, to make a, a long story short. And this, the, the title, The Sky Diaries, is actually a play on words. My, daughter, my daughter's name is Sky, S-K-Y. And the, the front book cover is her reaching up to, to touch a, a gorgeous sunset. And uh, actually, the, the sky itself, sunsets, shooting stars, um, you know, things like that, have, have, uh, there's a lot of undertones uh, regarding that in the book. Um, so it, it, being a psychic medium, actually, uh, this book wouldn't have happened if I didn't take that leap into becoming a psychic medium, uh, because my daughter's mom, her name is Kenzie, and uh, she's one of the key, uh, key figures in this book. So she came to me on uh, February 3rd, 2011. Uh, she came to me for a psychic reading. It was a cold day, and I, it was early on in my career. Obviously, I had only been full time for about a year at that point. And so we're, we're doing her session. And like always, you know, I'm giving her information about her guardian angels, her past life, you know, her future predictions, things like that. And I identified one of Kenzie's uh, guardian angels as a female Native American named Sarah. And it was kind of funny in the moment because Kenzie chuckled and she says, wow, I, I have always known that I had this spirit named Sarah around me. And so in that moment, she felt very, uh, you know, comforted, and I felt validated. And, and then I was telling her about my guardian angel, Henry, and, you know, we were just talking about Native American things. And because Kenzie is, she's one fourth Lakota Sioux. So she is part Native American. And uh, as we're talking about her future, I predicted that someday Kenzie would have a very, very special daughter, and there'd be something unique about this daughter, she would be a uh, an intuitive old soul who was great with animals and she was just she was destined to change the world in some meaningful way and as i'm as i'm talking about the guardian angels and and predicting that that kenzie would someday have a daughter there was a glass candle in my office that exploded and it, ju it just popped it sounded like a crack from a whip and glass comes you know uh, falling down to the floor and I, I had to blow the candle out and we didn't know it at the time, but in hindsight, we wonder if that was our guardian angels, Henry and Sarah, telling us to pay attention to the significance of this conversation. Um, so a little time goes by, and as fate would have it, uh, Kenzie and I actually fell in love, got married, and discovered, wow, this daughter that I predicted is supposed to be our daughter together. Uh, so I, I, I say, wow, I just, I just feel like her name has to be Sky. I've always been fascinated with sunsets and constellations and shooting stars, not to mention my near-death experience, you know, to see the universe itself through my bedroom ceiling. So we, so we fall in love, get married, and we know that someday we're going to have this, this daughter named Sky. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Kenzie gets a, a past life regression. And in the re regression, the, the hypnotherapist asks her who's with her in this previous lifetime. And she says, my husband, Andy's with me. And then she was asked the question, well, who else is present? And her response was Henry and Sarah Cloud. And the other interesting thing that she saw in that past life regression was images of me uh, getting shot in the stomach by an arrow and dying slowly in a tent or teepee all by myself. 
Now, after the past life regression, Kenzie comes and tells me all this information and I'm just, my jaw's hanging open in disbelief because first of all, I had never told her, I hadn't, I had never told anybody that I had always had this intuitive feeling that I was a native American in the 1800s and that I died from getting by an arrow in the stomach. So her past life regression validated this intuitive hunch that I had had my whole life. So that for me was, was statistically uh, improbable for her to come up with the exact same images. The, the second uh, shocking realization was she told me, you know, uh, Henry and Sarah Cloud, th that's the name of our best friends. When the hypnotherapist asked her who was with us, she said, our best friends, Henry and Sarah Cloud. And I, I was confused because I said, well, Henry, as in my guardian angel, Henry, and, and Sarah, as in your guardian angel, Sarah, and she said, yeah, and, and but we were trying to figure out what's what was with the last name Cloud. We had never heard of that name. Um, so we a little time goes by and in Kenzie's closet, uh, just a day or two later in an old shoebox in a bin, she finds an old family tree that was given to her years ago by her uh, by her father, who was estranged from the family. And sure enough, she's looking at this family tree and, and going back to the mid 1800s, her great, great, great grandparents were named Henry and Sarah Cloud. And so right there, we pieced together. Um, Kenzie had reincarnated back into her own family tree. And, and roughly uh, 175 years ago, we were best friends with her great, great, great grandparents who have since become our guardian angels. Um, so that was quite Quite remarkable. And the other synchronicity, <laughs> this is a humdinger. Uh, during the regression, when the hypno hypnotherapist asked Kenzie what her name was back in that past lifetime in the 1800s, Kenzie's response was Magpia. Now, we, we don't speak the, the Lakota language uh, of, the, of the Sioux tribe. She's, um, she's, she's never learned the language. Uh, but with a little research and digging, we learned that the Lakota word, the Native American word for Magpia is sky. So I unknowingly named our daughter uh, what Kenzie's name was in a previous lifetime. And that's, that's all these discoveries take place in the first, uh, roughly the first uh, third of my book. Uh, from there, it gets even stranger, some of the synchronicities and, and uh, things that we uncovered. And, and ultimately, uh, the book uh, culminates with uh, when my daughter was, uh, when Sky was old enough to begin talking, uh, uh, right around three and four is actually when it happened. She started to have memories of who she used to be. And then the whole story comes full circle to discover that Sky is actually one of my family members that I lost long ago, somebody who I was really close with. And she, she, that, you know, that family member came back to me in a different form uh, in my daughter. And so it's, you know, this is just a Rubik's cube of past lifetimes fitting together and, and my family basically following the trail of breadcrumbs to figure out how it all pieces together. But, you know, to have the tangible evidence of the family tree and, and then to later find Henry and Sarah Cloud to find them on an ancestral uh, ancestor um, website, you know, in an old census. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a long story. It's, it's a bizarre one. Um, I always, I always say, you know, they, they say that reality is stranger than fiction. And, and this, this story, uh, this story proves that. Yeah, that, that's great. There's a lot of things there. So just first, I think for people, maybe some people watching this uh, podcast, uh, 
uh, past life regression therapists, hypnotherapists. Uh, and that's something I don't talk a lot about on the podcast so far, but I'm really glad to have you on uh, because I can now bring this up. And that's that uh, there's this real interplay between the psychic medium world and the past life regression therapy world. So I really present a lot of my, my uh, material and curriculum as being like we're therapists and we don't have to be psychic to be therapists. And, we, and our clients don't have to be psychic to have past life recall. Although when we put somebody into a hypnotic state, they tend to become psychic and that they can remember their past lives. And there actually are a lot of past life regression therapists who are psychic to one degree or another. And that is actually pretty helpful in their practice. And for clients, they don't have to be psychics to have past life regression, but often they do have abilities to one degree or another. And that helps make them good subjects for past life regression. It's very complementary. So one thing, even when I'm looking with people say, I've got certain like family issues and I think, well, we'll just do hypnotherapy. If you don't have a real connection to past life regression, why, why? But for psychics tend to, so they become very good clients for past life regression. And even as you mentioned, like there are some things where like, you know that uh, you're gonna have a daughter, but it's like, you're not, you're not giving the information that it's also gonna be your daughter. <laughs> You can, right, you, right. You, can, you can tell your female client, but it's like, so there are certain things that are withheld for very good reasons. And then there is also sort of validation or, uh, you know, extra information that can come through as well. So you have a, a really strong hunch as a psychic that I had this past life. And then for someone else in a regression to come up with the, the matching information, it's just so complementary. So, so I think this connection between the past life therapist world and the psychic world is really strong. And so it's good to see the interplay that, that's happening in your experience there. And yeah, it is interesting, like you said, how people seemingly become more psychic under under hypnosis. It's almost like they're tapping into a part of themselves that was either shut down or they weren't aware of. But you know, down there in the basement of our soul, somewhere uh, on some level, we we subconsciously remember these past lifetimes. I I just feel like perhaps we're born into each new lifetime with a little bit of amnesia, uh, you know, which prevents us from recalling the past. And, and perhaps that's a good thing. I mean, our head is uh, overflowing. Like we can't even keep the facts of this lifetime straight. Like, okay, what's on my schedule for this week? What did I forget to do? Can you imagine if we had a, a conscious recollection of all of our past lifetimes on top of that, it would be one big garbled mess inside of our head. We'd be, we'd be getting our lifetimes confused. Yeah, I think that's part of what makes awakening difficult is it's pretty overwhelming and confusing. Yeah. Uh, but also, actually, is your wife, is she uh, psychic herself to some degree or another? Yeah, Kenzie, uh, well, since the, the book came out, uh, we, we're actually no longer together. We, we remain very close. And in fact, she's one of my very best friends. But uh, she is she is intuitive. She's very psychic. Uh, there's a couple other premonitions and, and visions and synchronicities that occurred in the story of her foreseeing events before they actually happened. And uh, yeah, and, and actually in her in her tribe, in the Sioux tribe, the Lakota Sioux tribe, they they call the intuitive individuals, they call them sun dancers, you know, people who are close to the spirit world, people who have this gift. So um, yeah, and, and it got passed along to our daughter as well. Uh, Sky is now seven years old, and she, she, she's fully aware of the concept of past lifetimes, and, and she, she understands what I do for a living, and that I talk to spirits and help people. And in fact, uh, Sky's 
<laughs> she sometimes senses the deceased pets of the client that I'm about to meet with. And she, she always asks me to, you know, to see if I can verify and validate what she's sensing is true. Like, you know, did the, did the family lose a little white cat or did they recently have a German shepherd that passed away? And yeah, more often than not, the information checks out. So um, Sky has a little bit of that sun dancer tendency within her as well. Okay, it's a nice childlike thing for her to fixate on the, the pets. Yeah, of course. In real life, they often ignore the people, the adults around and go straight to the animals. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so funny to do that in spirit as well. You may even mentioned children are kind of notorious for having past life recall. A number of people find that their, their children start speaking about these kind of things. So when were the first inklings? Yeah, for her, it happened the week before her third birthday which is right on cue because I always tell people in, in my lectures throughout the years, children seem to be most psychic between the ages of three and four. Now, sometimes that lingers into five, six, and seven, but there's something magical about that little two-year window when they're three and four years old, because they're still so pure and innocent and their intuition is raw. And it's, it, they're just these angelic little uh, psychic beings, but at three and four, they're finally articulate enough to verbalize and to share what they're thinking, feeling, and seeing. And, and many, many times what they're, what they're remembering and seeing has, has significant spiritual implications for us all. It, it's, it's the age where they typically tend to remember who they used to be in past lifetimes. It's where they remember uh, what the in-between was life, uh, what was like, you know, you call that heaven or the other side or the afterlife, that gap, you know, that, that time period between lifetimes, whether that's 10 years or 50 years or however long that gap is, they remember being there and they remember seeing people they were with. And so at three and four years old, when they, when they just casually, they speak of uh, deceased relatives that they never had the chance to meet, and it just leaves the, the parents and grandparents just absolutely stunned uh, that, that a child would mention, you know, Grandpa Bob, for example, who they never met. And they could tell you all about Bob because they had uh, many conversations with him before they were even born. Um, so, yeah, age three and four, um, you know, my daughter, and this is kind of at the end of the story, so I won't, I won't give uh, the spoiler away, but... Uh, for my daughter, she was seeing things, uh, objects and items and pictures around the house that she shouldn't know what they were or who they belonged to. And she would point to them and she would say, uh, that's mine. I used to have that. That belonged to me. She would see a picture of an old house that belonged to somebody in my family. And she would say, I used to live there a long time ago. Uh, she would see a picture of uh, uh, you know, uh, a deceased relative of mine and she claimed that she missed them. And I would say, oh, sweetheart, you never got a chance to meet that person because they passed away a long time ago. And she said, yes, I do know him and I miss him and I love him. I want to see more pictures. Um, and so, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's things like that, that that give you goosebumps. It's, you know, children, you know, knowing things that they, they could not possibly know. You know, another thing at, at age three you know, I was uh, snuggling on the couch with my daughter, Sky, and I was sipping coffee out of a coffee mug that I got in New York City. And it showed, uh, you know, it showed taxis and buildings. And she, she looked curious. She was studying my coffee mug. So I said, hey, do you want to see other pictures of New York City? And she said, yeah. So I, you know, pulled up, pulled out my phone and did an internet search. And 
uh, up popped a picture of the Twin Towers, uh, you know, pre 9-11, of course. And she's she's looking at the Twin Towers and she's studying it and she looks really disheartened. She looks really upset. And I said, aren't those buildings really pretty? And, and she points to the top of the buildings and she says airplanes. And, uh, you know, at that moment, you know, and I shared that at one of my lectures and people were like, you know, does she remember like on some level, was she somebody else in a past lifetime who was alive on September 11th? And she remembers the, the airplanes crashing into the buildings and, you know, but it's, it's these, it's moments like that where children, they, they, they seem to know more than they should. They seem to be wise beyond their years and they seem to have memories that aren't entirely their own. It's, it's, uh, in my opinion, that has profound spiritual implications for all of us. It proves that not only do we survive death, but that we get a chance to come back as many times as we want. And sometimes we choose to come back to the same family, uh, which that makes it easier to piece together past life clues uh, when you reincarnate back into your own family tree. Yeah, and that is really the big key, isn't it? It's the implication. So there's the message that they're getting, but then it's who they're giving it to. And so what were the implications? The kind of, how did those messages hit home and, and affect your life? Well, I'll never forget the day uh, that, again, it was the week before her third birthday when she pointed to an object and say, that used to belong to me. I gave that to you. Um, for me, I, I just started crying. <laughs> I, I, I just had this overflow of emotions where suddenly, uh, you know, it, it clicked and I realized who she was and, and that she had come back to me. And, but from a rational standpoint, you know, Ken, and Kenzie obviously being a big believer in, you know, psychic abilities and past lifetimes, we, we made a pact, we made a deal that we weren't going to overreact if Sky said additional interesting things about past life memories, because we didn't want it to become uh, a game. You know, we didn't want to subconsciously uh, implant ideas into Sky's head as to who she used to be. Uh, we just wanted her to focus on being a kid and having fun and just focusing about this lifetime. And uh, even now, as uh, the, as she's grown and, you know, it's it's four years later, she's seven years old and um, she, uh, you know, she'll sometimes bring it up. She'll, she'll talk about past lives and she'll say, dad, can you use your psychic abilities and tell me what was and I, I just, you know, I give her a hug and a kiss. And I said, sweetheart, someday you'll have to read my book when you're a little bit older. Uh, so, but I think that for anybody, you know, not just sky, but for anybody who has children or grandchildren who are having past life memories, the most important thing is to make them feel listened to to make them feel safe, to make them feel understood, um, to have to ask open-ended questions rather than leading questions. You know, you don't want to uh, subconsciously influence uh, a child's uh, opinions and and uh, just listen to them. Make make sure they feel loved and accepted. Make sure that they know that they're free to share anything, uh, even if it's uh, even if it's something they can't quite make sense of. You know, so I think that's the most important thing, and that's. I think that's the beauty of an intuitive child being born into an open-minded family. You know, we were familiar with, we were very familiar with past lives. So we knew the implications uh, on the flip side. It's kind of sad to imagine, you know, in other parts of the country or other parts of the world, you know, intuitive children with past life memories born into a 
close-minded or conservative family who just chalks it up to having a, viv a vivid imagination, you know, so uh, it's really important that we listen to our children. And I always say, if you're looking for wisdom, talk to a, a kid under the age of 10, because that's where you're going to find the most wisdom. We adults, we grow up and our heads gets filled with all sorts of nonsense and we, we lose some of that pureness that kids are prone to. Yeah, I was going to ask you, actually, how do you manage or do you have any advice for people who find their children as talking about past lives? And the first part is, you know, listen, don't close them down, don't shut it down. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you mentioned uh, not going overboard with it. So how do you manage that not getting too drawn into it or uh, and, and, you know, still letting them be, you know, little children? And what advice do you give for people who might be too infatuated with the idea of them as uh, you know excessively spiritual beings are getting too attached to their past lives yeah it's it would almost be a disservice uh, to a child if you um, if you treated them like an adult you know as we know the world we live in with technology and everything just moves at the speed of light and you know kids grow up too fast as it is you know so we don't want to uh, grow up have them grow up faster than needed and we also don't want to if, even if you discover who a child was or who you suspect they were in a previous lifetime, you certainly don't want to treat them like the previous version of themselves because it wouldn't be fair. You know, each new lifetime is just that it's a, it's a fresh start. It's a blank canvas. It's a brand new uh, opportunity to, you know, to create our lives in a slightly different way so that we can view the world through a slightly different lens. Uh, so yeah, we just treat her like a kid. We make sure that whatever she wants to share, she's welcome to share and, just trying not to make a big deal out of it. You know, uh, just a year or so ago, I was driving, just driving around town with Sky. We were running some errands and we pulled up next to a, a really interesting looking vehicle. It was like a Jeep or a, some sort of truck, but it was really old fashioned and unique looking. I think it, you know, it was, it was from long ago and Sky looks at it and she goes, huh, that's weird. And I say, I say, what, what's weird? And she says, see that truck that's how they looked like in the night that's what they looked like in the 1930s and i said huh i said how do you know what anything looked like in the 1930s you were born in 2014 and she says i don't know i just i just remember and i say oh okay well what else do you remember and i could see her thinking and she said uh, you know i'm not really sure i, I just I, I remember what they look like and so i just wrapped up the conversation by saying well that's really interesting feel free to tell me uh, if you remember anything more. So, and it's just as simple as that, you know, kids, they tend to lose interest if we pry too much, if we, if we try to, uh, you know, evaluate and, and dissect what they've said, they'll lose interest and change the subject, or they'll skip off and watch cartoons, you know, that's just, they have short attention spans, but uh, yeah, it's, you got to find that delicate balance between being interested and not overreacting, you know, being supportive um, but, but don't be leading. So, and, you know, generally speaking, people have enough self-awareness to find that balance. Yeah. And do you do any work to help develop her at the moment? Do you, do you plan to do some in the future when she comes of age, for example, or do you like, just as you did, you know, you had experiences when you're young and then you have, you know, as an adult, there's sort of some breakthrough experiences. You just like, and let them play out for her. If they do, if they do, they do, if they don't, they don't, what's your way forward with it? Well, it's always an open conversation. You know, she, uh, she's remarkably intuitive. Um, and I think part of that is she's, she's remarkably empathetic. She's just a very kind-hearted person. And I don't know, I think you would probably agree with this, Mark. It seems like 
through observation, I've noticed people who are very kind, they tend to be very intuitive as well, almost like those two qualities go hand in hand. But yeah, if Sky shows an interest in wanting to actively develop her psychic abilities as she gets older, um, I'd certainly uh, work with her in any capacity I could. But I feel like her destiny is not is not the same as mine. I don't think she's going to follow suit and become a psychic medium. Uh, I, I think she has her own destiny. And I think that destiny has to do with working with animals. That's it's what I predicted the first day that I ever met Kenzie and told her about this special daughter that she was going to work with animals. And since she was old enough to speak, Sky claims that she's going to work with animals. And uh, she used to say she was going to be a veterinarian, but nowadays she says she's going to educate children in classrooms about the importance of wildlife conservation. And she's going to travel the country in an RV full of critters uh, for demonstrations and displays. And so I don't know, you know, there's a lot of free will between seven years old and adulthood, but I, I just have a hunch that she's going to stick with this one. And, uh, and, you know, having intuition, regardless of what profession she chooses, it's a valuable resource, you know, whether a person becomes a counselor or a nurse or a, a past life, you know, regression expert or a wildlife conservationist, you know, having intuition is a little, it, it just helps you be more in tune with the people who you come in contact with, which would serve you well in any profession, I think. Oh, that's great. And so you've touched on, uh, you know, a number of elements. What would you say are some of the key themes of the book? There is a lot of synchronicity, you know, if, if, uh, if you're the kind of person who likes, um, I, I don't like the, the word coincidence. Coincidence is like a dirty word because I think significant things happen in our life. And, and when they defy statistical probability of like, wow, how in the world did that happen? What are the odds to be at the right place at the right time to witness something that has spiritual implications? It's a synchronicity. And there's, there's so many synchronicities in this book. Um, you know, I think it's uh, part of it's rooted in fate and destiny. Um, past lives, obviously, is one of the main themes. Guardian angels uh, are pop up in just about every chapter. Um, but it's also about, it's about family. It's about, you know, it's about fatherhood. You know, we, we discovered uh, through various, um, well, that's another story, but we discovered about halfway through this book that we, we were not uh, supposed to be able to have children. Uh, there was some medical complications. Doctors said odds were slim, slim to none. Uh, so there was a lot of soul searching. There was, there was some uh, struggles and, and heartache as, as we tried to bring Sky into the world. And it's, it's just about all, it's about the emotional roller coaster that ensues when you become a new parent. It's, it's the raw, gritty, um, unfiltered, um, you know, journey that we took as, as parents, you know, the sleepless nights, uh, the, the, the moments, you know, where, you know, trying to balance life as a psychic medium while, you know, you're up all night changing diapers and not getting any sleep. So it's, it's really a behind the scenes, uh, all access inv invitation to, to view my life. And, uh, but yeah, if you like past lives, if you like guardian angels, synchronicity, miracles, signs from the afterlife, uh, if you're the kind of person who looks for meaning uh, and and finds, um, you know, things like that faith affirming, I think the Sky Diaries will be right up right up your alley. And 
you know, again, um, probably say this again before we're done speaking, but uh, anyone who's interested can get a can purchase a copy on Amazon on January 11th. That's the day the book is released, both in paperback and ebook. And uh, there's even some rumblings of it uh, potentially becoming a movie someday. Um, that's getting a couple steps ahead of ourselves, but there's been talk of that with some people that have links to Hollywood. So uh, I, I hope it's well received. And some of the proofreaders who have uh, who have helped me with the editing, some of them got through all 350 some pages in one sitting. Uh, they they just said it was a page turner and it was a, a unique story. And I hope anybody who picks it up feels the same because. Uh, I mean, heck, after the holidays come January 11th, there's not much to do until springtime. Uh, so, you know, after the holiday lull, if you're looking for something to lift your spirits and to kind of get you through, uh, get you through that part of the year, hopefully this book does it for you. Great. And one thing I like as well is, you know, there people often have spiritual insights. Uh, but for me, even as a therapist, it's really important that they're connected to visceral, real, present moment, this life human experience so people can get off into the spiritual experience trip and get into the clouds and sort of detach or escape from or not really connect to their real present life their family but this brings it all back so all the spiritual lessons and experiences are very grounded in the everyday reality of human beings living their lives i think that's really important so just to that point uh, this book is it's not a novelization it's not based on a true story. It is uh, nonfiction. It's a true story. Every word of it happened. Is that, is that right? That is correct. Yes. And it's a hundred percent true story. I, I've yet to write a, a fictional book. I, might, I may someday, but uh, even if I did, I, I could not dream up a story this complex and this, uh, this insane. Uh, it's quite literally stranger than fiction. Um, but it is 100% true story. And I was very careful with the wording. I didn't want to say based on a true story, because when you when you hear based on a true story, that means there were some creative liberties taken, you know, for the sake of excitement. Everything in here is 100% true. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's my life story. It's a memoir. It's a, it's a, it's a story. Uh, you know, I, I will never be able to write another book like this, not in this lifetime anyway. So this one will always be special. Uh, near and dear to my heart. And, and it's kind of a legacy, you know, it's an heirloom that I can leave this guy. She has a copy sitting on her bedroom shelf right now. It'll, it'll collect dust for a few years until she's old enough to read it. But, you know, it's, it's the most important physical item that I'll leave behind when, when my time here on this, on this crazy planet is done. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a quite a, quite a trip. I'll tell you what. Okay, actually, you did mention a near-death experience before that was part of an awakening to your psychic abilities and things, but was there a connection to that uh, with uh, past lives? Yeah, my near-death experience was not, uh, it didn't have anything to do with past lifetimes. Basically, when I saw the, the universe and the cosmos through my bedroom ceiling, it was just this feeling of euphoric peace on a level that I, I, I don't even have the words to describe, but it was just the complete absence of fear and anxiety. And, and one of the messages that was conveyed to me from this higher power was that if I wanted to be, you know, reunited with my dad and everyone who had passed before me, all I needed to do was float up through my ceiling into the universe. And I, I did, I felt my spirit leave my body. And right as I was floating above my bed on the, on the verge of uh, the ceiling, I, I, that's when I had the change of heart and changed my mind. And that's where I felt my, 
my physical body slam back and merge with my spirit. And I woke up gasping for air. And, but it, it's kind of, you know, I, I, and I didn't know anything about near death experiences at the time, but often when people, you know, have a close call and live to tell about it, they, they do go through some sort of spiritual awakening, uh, whether that's becoming more intuitive or more interested in the afterlife, or they feel more connected to people in a way that's hard to describe. Um, in fact, some people, which was the case for me, some people even fall into a, a slight funk or a minor depression following their experience. Because when you stand on the doormat of the afterlife and you feel how wonderful it really is, you know, coming back to reality here on earth, it's almost like, you know, getting a peek inside Disney World and then being sent back to live in the slums, you know, so but it, it has more benefits than drawbacks. Uh, that being said, I'd be happy if I never had an, another experience like that again, because I'd like to be here for many more years to come. So yeah, I, I, I had that experience myself of uh, peeking in the window and not being particularly interested in coming back, yeah. but also feeling that it was necessary. So just go do what you got to do. But also, it's, I was wanting to pick up on this before I actually even mentioned your daughter was there talking to relatives uh, that she couldn't possibly have you know, met or known that had passed away before she was born. And that's something as past life regression therapists, even with a near-death experience, you, know, you can be grounded in your reality with this is my daughter, this is my partner. And then here we are in past lives together. But then as past life therapists, we've got, we call it the between lives. We do between lives regression, the between lives uh, realm. Uh, and that's where we're uh, we're not in physically incarnated now or in the past, but we are in that between lives area where, and that's where as spiritual entities, we meet and discuss with each other. Oh, you are my father or brother in a past life. You'll be my daughter or wife in the next one. And we need to meet and I need to learn forgiveness. So please come and be mean to me yeah. so I can have bad times. And, uh, and so all those people we end up forgiving, we ended up, we actually had an intention to go through those experiences and, and that's also, you know, part of that decision where, you know, or certainly not always necessarily there's some fate and free will involved, but uh, probabilities. And so you've got that, that potential. And so is that something that you tune into, uh, you know, even some of the discussions or decisions that you, the three of you would have made as souls to incarnate, incarnate in those various roles? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I think a lot of people uh, struggle to... <laughs> to wrap their head around how the dynamics can shift between one lifetime and the next, because our reference point, you know, your husband or your wife, you've only known them as your husband and wife. It's weird to think, wow, maybe they were a sibling in a past life. Maybe they were a neighbor. Maybe they were a boss who was always on your case. Um, but I think we get so wrapped up in the present moment. It's, it's for some people, it's hard to imagine who we used to be. Um, and my, and I, as a psychic medium, I, I don't do past life regressions, but what I do in my sessions is I can see into people's past lifetimes. Um, I don't focus so much on the between lives, but to see past lives and, and to sometimes see some correlations as to, okay, your best friend, you know, was your, was your cousin in a past lifetime or your current spouse was, you know, there was some romance in a past life, but it never worked out. It never worked out like it did this time around. Um, but for, for Kenzie and I, I think it was uh, like history repeating itself, you know, apparently, uh, you know, living together as husband and wife in the 1800s. And I, I do um, have also uncovered that we took a lifetime apart 
where she was living on the West Coast and I was living in New York in the early 1900s. So that can happen as well, I feel, where you take a break from incarnating with people in your soul group, and then sometimes you take another turn with them again. And, uh, but, and that's why it says on the back of my book, you know, a family's love from one lifetime to the next, a family's love never truly ends. It just changes forms, changes forms from, from one life to the next. Yeah, and, that, you know, we, I, I, that's exactly what I see doing past life regression therapy work. Uh, which is, you know, so you've often got uh, repeating patterns. So we were married and we come back and we're married again. I definitely see that repeating patterns. We also see balancing patterns where we were lovers in one life and enemies in the other. Yeah. And, and people think, you know, it's better to be one, not the other. Well, not necessarily. It's all just part of the learning process. And then people often also assume that if we were married in one life, we should come back and in every single life be together and be married. But that's not what I see. I also see significant. My wife is the same. She has a number. She has a number of lifetimes off from me, yeah. and is quite happy to do so. <laughs> she likes her own space in this life as well, and so. But and that's not, uh, you know, a contradiction or any less loving or anything like that. It's just there are other things to be done, you know, and uh, and that's how it goes. So that's all pretty consistent with what I see in regression as well. Uh, and so and so you mentioned other uh, synchronicities. Uh, and so th that's where it gets interesting as well between you've got so many threads and yeah. so many connections. So with any other key synchronicities that stood out for you? Well, and that's a good way to put it threads. It, it was a, it was a hard book to write. I've never written a book that was one continuous story. Most of my books, my previous books have like a standalone chapter where it's more educational in nature, but this was one continuous story that involves multiple lifetimes and multiple people. Um, but yeah, synchronicities galore, you know, it, there's some examples in there about how my dad passed away in 1997. And uh, as my daughter was born, we slowly discovered that one of her guardian angels is my dad, Steve. And uh, he was very timely in making his presence known, uh, you know, through song, through messages, through helping us avoid a car accident. Um, you know, for example, one of the quote unquote signs that we have attributed to my dad is that every time uh, we hear a song called spirit in the sky uh, by Norman Greenbaum uh, that's a, that's him that's his way of trying to say hello and get our attention and uh, one example in the story is um, uh, we are in a busy intersection here in Omaha driving and Kenzie was gosh she was about six or seven months pregnant with sky and I just I had this feeling of impending dread. And I, I was looking at this silver pickup truck and there was this voice in my head, which now I know was my dad, but he was like, don't take your eyes off that truck. And I didn't thank goodness. And I slammed on the brakes and the truck blew through a red light and just missed us by an inch. Uh, had I not been listening to my dad's voice in my head, the truck would have plowed directly into Kenzie's door, uh, probably, uh, that would have jeopardized the whole pregnancy, but thankfully we survived that close call. And a, a, just a couple seconds after that near miss, I, I had a, a inkling in my head to turn on the radio, which was a very strange thing to do considering my heart was still racing and I didn't even feel like listening to music, but I turned on the radio and sure enough, playing on the radio at that moment was spirit in the sky. So just a synchronicity of, you know, right time, right place. Um, you know, a demonstration of how people who we've loved and lost can still be helpful and, and a protective, 
influence in our life and, and the ways in which they communicate with us. You know, it varies through dreams, through music. Uh, there's examples of them moving physical objects around the house. Um, all of these are mentioned in my, in, my, uh, in my book as things that we've witnessed over the years of our, our loved ones trying to get our attention. So yeah, synchronicity, that's probably one of the top five words I would use to describe the, the theme of this book. Okay, and so even in talking about guardian angels, it sounds like a lot of those are what I would even call members of a soul group. And they're often family members or people that you reincarnate with frequently or often family or certainly friends. So is that how you see them? And do you see a distinction between guardian angels and maybe something like a spirit guide? And for me, maybe a spirit guide is an entity who doesn't or hasn't reincarnated for some significant amount of time. So do you see a distinction between, you know, that kind of wording or? I have a bad habit of using those words interchangeably. Uh, So I'll say guardian angel and spirit guide. Um, And in my opinion, I'm kind of referring to the same thing. So they're, they're people who have lived a lifetime here on earth at one point in time. So they know what it's like to be human, but being in, in the between lives uh, phase, they can keep tabs on us and help us and protect us to help us navigate our current lifetime. And I do think that sometimes in, in special circumstances, uh, a, deceased, a deceased loved one, such as my dad, um, can be a, a guardian angel for, for Sky. You know, they never met uh, in life, not in this one anyway, because my dad passed in 1997 and Sky was born in 2014. But you know, they can still uh, be active in a child's life uh, by signing up to, to be the role of guardian angel. And, and in doing so, uh, you know, they, they kind of don't, they don't miss out on all those good opportunities to be a, a participant in that child's life. So, you know, and then in other cases like mine with Henry, you know, he was a, you know, Henry and Sarah, they were, you know, our past life uh, Native American buddies. And so they're, they're taking a break from having an incarnation on earth to keep tabs on us and keep us out of trouble. So yeah, it all, it all fits together in, in it's like a big puzzle piece. You just have to figure out where, where every part goes. Right. Do you feel that Henry uh, last incarnation was a few hundred years ago? Do you feel that he's continuing to reincarnate or he will reincarnate in future and what's been happening with him? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I hope he's had some adventures between the 1800s and nowadays. And truth be told, you know, obviously he would have gone by a different name with the new lifetime. So perhaps my calling him Henry and still seeing what he looked like in that Native American past lifetime is just my reference point for him. So, you know, that's an interesting thing too, not to get off on a tangent, but, you know, people's appearances you know obviously we get a new body we have a new look with each new lifetime so um, i've always theorized that sometimes you know for people who are active dreamers and remember their dreams you you might relate to this but you know if you've ever dreamt about a person let's let's say your brother scott and you knew it was scott in the dream but he looked completely different he looked like somebody else but you felt his energy as your brother scott I theorize that when that happens, you're actually seeing a previous, uh, the previous look of somebody like what they used to look like in a past lifetime of theirs. So their energy is the same, but their appearance is different. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And that's in regression. Uh, that's what we often see. And it always kind of a little bit surprising to me in a way that someone will see somebody who's a different gender, different race, different everything. And they go, oh, that's Tim. It's like, <laughs> you know, I, I guide them and just say, you know, look at that person, tune into their energy. And, and, and it is that energy that people pick up on. It's their essence and they can 
uh, the, the ease with which they look past all of the, the physical externalities and are able to tune into, oh, that's that person just, although they look completely different. So yeah, we find that in, in, in regression as well. Uh, so yeah, so you mentioned uh, you know, being in Nebraska. So that's another thing with that in terms of synchronicities or even repeating patterns, the geography that you're born into it. So it seems like you've returned to around about similar places, I guess, Nebraska and the Lakota, maybe is, is, that, is that a little bit different in terms of the, the main states? And, and so how was there sort of connections geographically and culturally and, and even the Native American connection you've mentioned? How was that particularly meaningful for the journey and, and the stories that unfolded? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Ge geography obviously plays a big role when we're talking past lifetimes. As far as the Native American past lifetime that Kenzie and I shared in the 1800s, uh, we're pretty certain that it was somewhere in the South Dakota area, um, which is which is very close to Nebraska. Um, and in fact, um, you know, it's kind of funny too when you get back to certain places that you've lived before. It feels familiar every time. Just this past summer, I was vacationing in South Dakota, and just the whole area just gives me deja vu. It just feels so familiar in ways that that I can't describe, and and that actually stems all the way back to my youth, and and that's chapter two in my book. Is I remember being, uh, you know, nine or ten years old in the movie Dances with Wolves starring Kevin Costner that came out in theaters right around that time. And I was so fascinated with that movie. It, it, it unlocked something within me because during the movie, you know, they're speaking the native, the Sioux language, they're speaking the Dakota language. And I remembered the lines from the movie. I would run around and I, I would be like talking Dakota. And I, I, I didn't know how I didn't, I, I was just so fascinated with that movie. And I remember I even found a, a plastic tomahawk in my neighborhood and I would just throw it at things in my backyard pretending I was hunting buffaloes and you know and and then you know growing into an adult and, and discovering these past life connections and I'm thinking wow no wonder I was so fascinated with Native American culture growing up because it stemmed back to the, the the past life in South Dakota um you know as for you know, as for somebody who reincarnates back into their own family tree in a relatively short amount of time, geographically, uh, not not much changes. Um, in fact, uh, I, I won't give the story away, but, um, you know, Sky, uh, again, when she was three and four years old, I was scrolling through Facebook on my phone and she saw uh, a house, um, a house that, uh, I had a picture of a house and she pointed at it and it, it was a house that used to belong to one of my family members. And she said, wow, I used to live there. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, it's like, how do you respond to that? I'm like, I just, oh, wow, that's, that's interesting. What else do you remember? And of course she lost interest and she, you know, skipped down the hallway to play with her toys. So yeah, geography is interesting. And I always say, that's the cool thing about living in today's world. We are inundated with Netflix, uh, you know, Google searches, uh, you know, movie TV shows, and, and all of this media exposes us to past life, uh, potentially to past life events that are going to trigger a sense of deja vu, you know, whether it's a, a specific period in history, a specific geographic location around the world, uh, or a specific year, you know, or an event like the Titanic or you know, Renaissance England or the, you know, what, what have you, we, we see these things and we, for entertainment. And then it's like, wow, uh, that really makes me feel like I've been there before.
So you've written three books previously. So if people want to go check out your back catalog, there's plenty there. Can you tell us a bit about those three books collectively or how this yeah. fourth book takes another, another step? Sure. Well, actually, my first book is referenced uh, quite a, a few times, actually, in in the Sky Diaries, uh, because my my first book, it's called Flying Paint Rollers from Heaven. I know it's kind of a goofy title, but it's kind of just a hodgepodge of all things spiritual, metaphysical, paranormal. And at the very end of that book, as we were actively trying to have a baby, we were trying to conceive Sky, and due to some of those medical issues, it didn't seem likely. And I remember I, I was trying to figure out how to wrap up the end of Flying Paint Rollers from Heaven. And I I can't believe I was so bold to do this. It sounds crazy in hindsight, but at the very end of that book, I wrote that during the publication of this book, Andy and Kenzie learned they were pregnant with their first child and it's a girl. And so we, we wrote it, it was being published. It wasn't true at the moment that I wrote it, but as, as the book, the book actually was released when Kenzie was like seven months pregnant with Sky, and thankfully it became a, a true premonition, but yeah, it was kind of my, my unique way of trying to manifest Sky into reality by just assuming, hey, she's, she's coming, she's coming, she can hear me, she's getting ready to come into the world, I'm just going to write it in a book and make it true. And so that was my first one, Flying Paint Rollers from Heaven. My second one was called Inspiration A to Z. And that's kind of just an uplifting take on everyday life. It's, it's looking for positivity in, in places where others may find none. And my, my third book was uh, Not Your Average Angel Book. So it kind of goes very much into detail about how we can communicate and establish a relationship with our guardian angels or spirit guides. And the, the, the book is also loaded with a lot of angelic miracle stories that I've heard from clients over the years, you know, people who survived disaster, uh, only to find out that the person who pulled them to safety was uh, disappeared, at, you know, in the blink of an eye kind of stories. Um, and again, those are all on my website. Um, but the, the main thing I want to tell everybody about the Sky Diaries, again, January 11th, 111. Uh, right after the new year. That's when you can order your copy on Amazon. And anyone who orders a copy on January 11th, the, the incentive behind this is ordering a copy will grant you free access into a special event that I'm doing. Uh, it's called a Heaven on Earth gallery reading. And it's, a, it's an audience event where I call on members of the audience and relay messages from their deceased loved ones. And I'm actually doing two of these for book purchasers. One will be live in person in Omaha, uh, in January. And then the other one will be on zoom for people nationwide. So if anyone buys a copy in Australia, England, wherever you live, you can still participate for free. Uh, all you have to do is email my office, a copy of your purchase, you know, a screenshot from your phone would do, and we'll, we'll get, give you free access to those events. Anyone who buys more than one copy is going to be in the running actually for a family session. So that's round up five of your uh, closest family members and you get to spend a whole evening with me either in person or on zoom and uh it's very private very intimate uh you know guaranteed to have some messages coming through from your deceased loved ones so you know that's a little incentive for people to buy more than one copy to get to get a chance to win that to win that opportunity and uh, either way um i think a lot of people are excited to buy it and i'm i'm excited it's just it's surreal to see it you know, coming down the home stretch. I, I wrote the book for two years. I've been editing and, and tweaking it for three additional years. Um, obviously, you know, Sky was 
gosh, she was just so little when I, when I wrote it and now she's seven and she'll be at the book signing, you know, handing out copies. It's just, it's just so, it's just been a really long process and it's, uh, gosh, it's, it's just, uh, it makes me emotional, you know, that, that we're, we're finally getting towards the, the tail end where people can actually read this story because quite literally, um, you know, I've been talking about Sky since before she was born. Everybody's been following this story, you know, since before Sky was even conceived. So a lot of people are, they've heard bits and pieces of the story, but they've never heard the whole thing. So again, uh, all the nitty gritty details um, are, are within the, within the pages of this. And, and I hope whoever reads it, I hope it changes your life in some small way. Okay, great. So do go and check out uh, andymyersonline.com. So you can find out a lot about uh, the events that he's doing and his, uh, his contacts. And yeah, and uh, so congratulations, Andy. It's a, it's a long journey to get a book done. So yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, we keep joking. It's been 150 years in the making. Okay. <laughs> so, but I, I appreciate it. It's been so much fun being on. Yeah, well, it's been great to hear your story. So yeah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Okay, have a good one, Mark. Thanks for listening or watching. To find out more about my guest, see the links in the description for details. If you're interested in having personal sessions or certification training, visit my website, thepastlifeawakeninginstitute.com for details. Thanks so much for watching or listening and see you next time.